is Hard Parking, sponsored by Right Hunt and Right Toyota out of Scottsdale, Arizona. This is your first time joining the show. I'm your host, Jay Finning. It's been maybe six months since I teased the return of Fielding and time. Timing didn't work out. He's done a lot of traveling. Coming up on today's episode, finally caught Fielding Shredder doing a lot more than just drifting. He kind of rose to fame outside of his own circle because of the Netflix hyperdrive show. If you guys haven't seen that show, it's a few years old now. I think it came out in 2019, but that is an awesome show. And it's even more awesome when you know one of the competitors. But from that, we got kind of removed from 2019, obviously 2020, which I reference a lot because that was a big time in people's lives. Everybody was affected in some way, shape, or form. And if you weren't personally infected, somebody in your circle was. That's I'm not going to call that an opinion. I'm just going to go ahead and say that's a fact. But I wanted to try to, you know, we recapped his visit to France and Japan. And I got some of the dates and timelines kind of screwed up, which he corrected me on. But, you know, what what were his experiences over there? And so that's when I take the car stuff and spin it into the non-car stuff so that, you know, everybody listening to this podcast probably has those same questions. How's the food? How's the liquor? What are the small differences? What are the similarities? And that's something that I have a lot of fun doing. These podcast listens go up, they go down. But the key is, am I making this informative and entertaining enough, not only for you guys, but am I learning something about my guests along the way? Also, I finally got the Road America video up on YouTube. I just posted it on July 30th in the morning. If you guys listened to the last episode and you wanted to actually see what I did, it's worth your time. It's a fun, and I think it's a little funny YouTube video. It's a vlog, but it's almost an hour. But I take you through the weekend just as I did the podcast. And I tried not to make it the same boring vlog. I find in YouTube videos you have one of two different videos. As long as we're talking entertainment. The key to YouTube is really informing people things. Or entertaining people. And so this vlog would be on kind of like right down the middle. But you get the vloggers and the YouTubers that have a million, two million followers. And they have hundreds of thousands of views. And we'll take Stradman. I don't even know how many followers he has. I would guess two or three million. And I watched one of his videos. And he's very high energy. A lot of quick cuts. A lot of guys, look at this. This is so good. And it's, it's a thousand miles an hour. I'm an old guy. I'm, I'm a little slower, but I still try to make it interesting for you guys. So if you have a chance, check it out, go to the YouTube page, hard parking media. You can probably find it under hard parking podcast and you'll see it. You'll know it when you see the thumbnail. It's very rare Ferrari on the thumb. I should have used my friend's car. I thought about that. I did use that on the, as a thumbnail for the podcast upload, but YouTube's all about the thumbnails and you know, grabbing their attention and I'm sorry, my friend's Acura TSX is not going to get the same attention as a classic vintage badass Ferrari. Anyway, after this word from Foil Online, Fielding Shredder is back. Jay Finning here, and I want to tell you guys about Foil Online. For over a decade, Foil Online has been bringing the best truck accessories and truck parts to enhance the appearance and performance of all trucks and SUVs. They are dedicated to providing an extensive range of upgrades that will match any maker model on the road. Their truck products cover everything you need to give your truck a custom look and added functionality. And if you need a tire and wheel package, head over and use the configuration tool. They carry all the major brands of 
wheels and tires to go get outfitted today. So visit them online at Four Wheel Online or call them at 813-769-2451. Again, that's Four Wheel Online, the number four wheel online. Fielding Shredder, welcome back to welcome back to Hard Parking, man. Yeah, thanks, man. Appreciate you having me back. It's been a minute. Yeah, so you've been traveling a lot, and I was looking at our. I went back to review our episode before, and almost three years ago, it was that episode dropped in August of 2020. Oh, okay, okay, so it has been a minute. Yeah, I wasn't sure exactly how long. Yeah, dude, it's it's. I was I looked at because it's not like we haven't talked to each other since then. You know, you came into town for Barry right. Jackson. We'll talk about that and just kind of back and forth a little bit on social media, following your travels. Man, things have changed a lot. So I'm kind of glad it's been so long because yeah. you know the other episode, it's ranked number seven all time on my list, by the way, for downloads. Seven. Yeah. Nice. It's not bad. Appropriate. Oh, you know what? It is appropriate. In fact, I was going to put the camera on, all that kind of stuff, and wear the seven shirt. But it's nice. it's funny that you're ranked number seven. I didn't even put that together until you just said what you just said. <laughs> Things like it. It works out like though more often than not. Yeah, which is totally bizarre. So glad you made the time. I know you've been super busy. I kind of wanted to step back a little bit in reviewing that episode from three years ago. Okay. I have questions for you, man. I'm ready. At the time, probably 70% of that conversation was all about hyperdrive, Netflix, because you were just coming off of the 2019. Right. I've wondered. The further away you get from that experience, are people do people still approach you just as much as they used to, or do you can you kind of stand off and go back to kind of the grassroots fame and fielding Shredder, the guy who races trucks, you know, for Continental, or the guy who's still doing the drifts, or do you still get the people that come up and say, "Oh, I watched you on Hyperdrive all those years ago." Yeah, you know, it's it's about fifty fifty. Uh, what I think is cool is some people will have known to me from hyperdrive and come up excited about that and re- remembering that from, you know, a few years ago. And then some people will just say, like, I just saw you on this recent thing, whether it was the stadium super trucks with Continental or doing some drift week with Lone Star Drift. You know, they saw me one way or another through social media and or and or a live event where we do ride alongs and we do, you know, meet and greets and all that sort of thing. And um, yeah, I think it, it's, it's cool to ha- meet all kinds of different fans. Sometimes they're from hyperdrive and have followed me throughout. And sometimes they're, they're new fans and both of them are like excited in their own way. And, um, they'll usually tell me, you know, they're not just like, Oh, I know you. They're like, tell me how they know me. Like, Oh, I saw you jumping those stadium super trucks, like in front of the crowd at Bristol, you know, with Cletus and cars. I was like, dude, that was the craziest thing I've done in a long time. Or they'll say like, oh, I saw you on Drift Week. I came to one of the public days. I took a ride along with you and it was amazing. And uh, it's a totally different you know, environment, but still a really memorable experience to talk about and relate to. And I think that's what's, uh, you know, something great to connect with fans. How'd you get into the trucks? So that was a deal with Continental. Um, you know, after... 2020, Kenda and I decided just uh, to part ways. You know, we had a great relationship for many, Mm -hmm. many years, and they were always an amazing supporter and sponsor of my program. And in 2020, with COVID, they were moving factories. They told me, like, look, we we can't support you. We can't sponsor anyone. We have to take a step back while we 
figure things out logistically with our company. And I said, I totally understand. You guys have been great. Like we're all on great terms. Um, but it just didn't make any financial sense to support any drivers at the time. So I moved on and found uh, an opportunity with Continental Tires, uh, a great, you know, option to get into the market with more, you know, upscale OEM style car and truck tires that are like OEM Porsche and Audi and BMW and Mercedes, that sort of thing, which is different from my drifting, you know, audience, which is um, more of the Chinese tire, the tires that are pretty inexpensive because we're burning a bunch of them up or, you know, in the pro segment, there's not even Continental or Bridgestone or Michelin. They, they stick with more of the American and Japanese styles and brands. Well, that's interesting. Um, yeah. So like, we talked about like, okay, how am I going to shift the audience and how am I going to make things interesting and relatable to Continental? And they offered me the stadium super truck event and which has always been a dream of mine. Like literally ever since I saw a stadium super truck go off a jump and land with 15 other cars behind or trucks behind them. Coolest thing ever. Mm -hmm. If you haven't seen it before, you should Google it. Like it is the shit and um, something that excites me the same, if not more than drifting, which is rare because I love drifting. And so we, we came up with a plan to, you know, do some more road racing and more grip driving and more, um, stadium super truck as an example, and different kind of events that will highlight the brand and make it relatable to my fans and, and new fans that are in that kind of demographic. And that's what we're doing. Take me yeah. back to deal with with kendo the tires because 2020 was a shitty year for everyone and it was i remember a lot of stuff that was planned and a lot of stuff got canceled and we weren't quite sure what the future was going to hold not only for you but for pretty much anyone so then you lose the tire deal and you know you understand but it's still gotta like really suck no for sure it always sucks to lose a sponsor but at the same time it made sense no bad blood. We just, it didn't make any sense and we have to evolve. Of course. Yep. Was there any, like, what was the real level of doubt about getting back on track? You know, because again, coming off of kind of the pinnacle for your life at that time, the TV deal and everything else and all the plans that all got canceled was like, I'm going to keep doing this until I can't do it anymore. But damn, like, is, am I ever going to get back to that? Yeah, so I think um, something that's taken me quite a bit of time to learn, but remember, I've been in the game for 10 plus years now at this point, is that like the river will keep flowing. You will find a way to continue uh, in a manner that suits your personal lifestyle and, and dreams and goals and aspirations. And I don't know, Kinda just dissolved at the right time and it made sense and it was okay. And then Continental came right back into the picture just by happenstance. I mean, you guys know as a profession, I have multiple different jobs. I'm a driving instructor, so I can teach for a rally, I can teach for drifting, and also for road racing at Circuit of the Americas. I also do camera car work with my, my buddy Max First with the Wolfpack Agency. So anytime there's a commercial or some sort of driving gig where I'm driving either the camera car or the hero car, I'm going to be behind the wheel doing that. And it just happened that we were shooting a commercial for a company that was building these off-road Thunderbird trucks. 
and the Continental rep was there. I met him and I just um, happened to be talking about the type of tires that were on the camera car, which were tires that they had just put on for the event. And I was just talking to Max. I wasn't even talking to the Continental guys who I didn't know was there. Uh, I was just talking about the characteristics of the tire and how they had a very clean breakaway from traction to slip angle and like it was very predictable and um, you know nice to be able to get up to the edge without worrying about when it goes over it being unpredictable and the continental rep actually overheard me and he kind of walked over and his name's marco a good friend of mine at this point but he was like what did you just say about those tires <laughs> and i was like uh and i didn't know who this guy was right yeah. and i'm just like well and i kind of just repeated what i said because it was true I said, well, the characteristics are such and such. And he looked at me really like confidently and said, wow, I can't believe I'm saying this, but we have developed those tires to have exactly those characteristics. And I'm actually the, the, the engineer for this tire. Oh, wow. The first person who has articulated the characteristics of it properly um, from testing. And I was just like, oh. Well, cool, man. Nice to meet you. My name's Fielding. Yada, yada. And we kind of bs for a minute and talked about the tires and talked about what we do and whatnot. And it was a cool, just kind of organic meeting of this continental guy. And he asked me if I worked with any tire companies. And at the time, I said, yeah, I worked with Kenda. I'm very proud to be represented by them. We have a great partnership. And I'm not looking for anything. But, you know, thank you for being interested. And he said, okay, you know, if you ever have any um, openings in the future, let me know and we can talk. And that was that. Mm, good things happen to good people, man, because Continental, that's a big-time name. I have a friend who is yeah. a big-time Continental guy. Have you ever met Ryan Eversley? Do you know who that is? I don't know if I have, actually. That name sounds familiar. Um, I'm not sure if I've met him, though. Yeah, so he used to, or I guess he still, well, he still races. I'm sorry, Ryan, if you ever actually listen to this, but he's joined us on One Drink Wednesday, too, a few times, and he also races okay. the, the trucks for Continental at times, um, and I cool. think they sponsor his podcast that's uh, Dinner with Racers, so okay, giving him a shout out there, but that's a really cool guy to, to kind of become friends with, too, because like you, he's just okay. full of life, cool. and, and you guys are, are super awesome, and I think it's awesome that you got that opportunity, because you know, opportunity comes knocking sometimes when shit looks like it's, you know, closing up on you. Yeah. I mean, dude, when it's developed into the stadium super truck opportunity, like I was over the moon. That is literally <laughs> one of the coolest things you can those are badass, do behind man. the wheel. They are unbelievable. Jumping those jumps at the speeds that they're going and just landing, breaking, like, oh my God, it's amazing. It is so much fun. They're ridiculously fast. And they pick up the wheel on the inside if you are accelerating properly. Like they are really difficult to drive at the limit. They all are run a spec con uh, continental tire. And so they're all spec trucks. They're all LS7. They're dry sump. They weigh the same. They are set up the same, same tire pressures and everything. The only thing you do is driving. So it's a really solid racing. And like the top guys who have been in this seat for a long time, are really good like they're pretty much unbeatable but the back half of the pack is like all the noobs and all the youtubers and all the mm -hmm. fresh meat and 
dude, it is so much fun to dice it up with them. Like you are just having a blast trying not to crash and going up these jumps at breakneck speeds. It's ridiculous. Man, that sounds amazing. Um, Axel Francois. Uh-huh. You guys became, sounds like, or looks like you guys became really good friends after your guys' experience on TV together. You've turned into quite the worldly traveler. How did that whole thing come about? Because I swear <laughs> yeah. you were over there for like a month. And then it's like you were there for a few weeks, and then you went to Japan, and then you went back there before you came here. No, that- so, so I started my travels in Japan. Okay. And I was in Japan for about 12 days. And then I came back to Texas for about a week. And then I went to France and I was there for seven weeks. Wow. Yeah. And it was the most fun ever. Like XL and I are the exact same person on different continents. And we have the same mentality, the same like passion and drive for drifting. We just want to drive as many fun laps with as many fun drivers as possible. He set up the very first Drift Week Europe which was such a great experience. We, uh, you know, took all the things that we've learned from Lone Star Drifts, Drift Week in USA, mm-hmm. and they're not affiliated. Alex XL is doing his own thing. It's not um, tied with the US Drift Week from Aaron Losey and Lone Star Drift. But, um, you know, it's an homage to the experience of getting all your friends together and driving as many track days as you can and as many cool tracks. Now, in Europe, it's a little different. Like, there is no possible way to street drive your car on the road between racetracks. It's just not a thing. And basically, out of 20 or 25 entries that get into Driftwood Europe, only maybe 10 will make it to the first stop because the rest will be impounded by the cops. So, (laughs) yeah, everyone's on, like, a a truck and trailer situation. They got their vans. They got their... X5s, they've got whatever that are pulling a little lightweight aluminum open trailer, and it works. Drift BMW is everywhere. And also, smooth correction on that, man, because, yeah, XL. Thank you. Thank you, XL. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's pronounced a little different than we would say in US, but um, yeah, they say XL. And yeah, he's just like such a good friend of mine, super cool dude. Like I said, we think exactly the same. We, want the same thing all of our dreams desires goals thought process it's, it's so ridiculously identical that um his wife is always laughing she's like whatever you want he wants whatever you think he's thinking y'all are the same person <laughs> we're just like i guess that's true relationships yeah. are important man and when you have a, a like that's like a natural that's not a business relationship that's just a natural like this is my brother you know that's it yeah that's exactly. awesome man my brother from another mother. It's amazing. And so he was very gracious and kind. Best host ever. He let me stay in his um, guest room and we just hung out every day. We did car stuff. We did off-road stuff. We did French stuff. We did buggies. I got to experience the local cuisine. Uh, we went to barbecues and parties. We drifted a shitload. We went all over the country and then even into Spain and Andorra, like it was such an unbelievable experience. I never wanted to come home, and that's why I stayed for seven weeks. Tell me some differences. I got, I have I have differences questions for you. One is track-related, okay. one isn't. So we'll get the track stuff out of the way. 
what are the biggest differences from our tracks here in the States versus Japan and over in Excel and the whole, the rest of the planet over there that you were at? Um, okay. So, you know, in USA, we have the track typically is going to be like a one lap wonder kind of thing where mm-hmm. you stop at the start line, you wait in line and then you go whenever it's your turn. Now there are some events that have mitigated that by using a hot lap layout, like Lone Star Drift most of the time is a hot lap setup and other events throughout the country are, but some and most are not still. There's still a one lap layout where you wait in line and then you go do your 30 second run and then you wait again for 30 to 45 minutes or whatever it is. It sucks. Um, Europe, at least on this particular European Drift Week, um, it was very similar to the US Drift Week where every track is a hot lap layout. We only have so many drivers. And all of the drivers are, you know, at least like a level five out of 10. So they know what they're doing. They know not to get in the way. They know to check their mirrors and like keep the momentum throughout the track, even if they're not drifting and it flows well. Um, now Japan, same thing, only more so. I feel like most Japanese tracks are hot lap and the difference there is they have really no regulation. Like there's no track workers, there's no flaggers. Mm. Uh, and I'm speaking strictly on Ebisu, like maybe at Nico or Mahan, they have flaggers and track workers, but at Ebisu, there's nobody there. There might be a volunteer that's working the lights at North Course, but like otherwise, you're just SOL, keep your eyes up and don't hit anybody. <laughs> um, so that's a, one of the, the differences. And then in Europe, um, we first went to Andorra. No, sorry. We started in France and we went to a toge event and that was super, super fun. I think I saw that. It was a proper toge. Yeah. Like up a French Alps mountain. And the way that they were able to talk the city into this, cause it's a proper public road, you know, two lane mm-hmm. road up a mountain and there's businesses and residents and everything up this mountain is we have to close it for 15 minutes at a time. And then we open it and let the cross traffic through. Okay. So like we, we put a couple cars at the baseline. We stop it, stop traffic, same at the top. And then we send the cars, all of them. There's about 30 race cars that go up the toge and hopefully don't crash or cause a problem. And we send them about, you know, if they want to go in groups, we let them go in groups. And if not, then they're maybe 15 seconds apart, which is funny. So. We do that and we have a blast, right? Zipping up and down this mountain. You go up the mountain and then if there's time, you go back down and then you pause, let the traffic through. And then another 15 minutes, you get to block it off. You go up the mountain, all 30 cars, and then back down the mountain, all 30 cars. And we had an amazing time doing that. No one crashed except for at the very end, one guy slammed into the mountain on the cliff face. Oh, man. Luckily for him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And... It was hilarious because he was like one of the newer drivers in the French circuit, but he was going on drift week and we were leaving the next day to go to the first track in Spain. And so literally like 10 French dudes get on a trailer. We all zip up the half the mountain, pull him off the embankment where he'd smashed into the rock face. That was the inside corner. We get a spare on the car. We drag it down the mountain and then we put it on his trailer and then everyone goes to his shop and just like, fixes the car so he makes drift week. Oh, so cool. That's awesome, man. I thought I saw maybe some elevation changes on some of the tracks too. 
Yeah, yeah. So the next track we went to was in Spain. It was called Maranda de Abur. And it was literally one of the top three tracks I have ever been to in my life. It was unbelievable. This track, it had um, a rally-inspired theme. Mm. So basically, the, the track designer really loved rally, but he knew he had to make a tarmac racetrack to pay the bills and bring in that demographic of driver, like motorcycles, bikes, cars, race cars, drift cars, everything. So he builds this track, but he inspires it by rally and do. On this track, there are three jumps that initiate you into the drift around like a long corner. Oh my it gosh. is fucking crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and then on the outside of the track, on like the outer perimeter is a rally course. That's a gravel course that just traces the outside of the road course on the inside. So you can run a rally race or a drift race or a tarmac race or a motorcycle race. And there's three jumps on each lap. So per lap, you do three jumps. That sounds pretty badass. Now, was did you guys ever have two things going at once, or that was against the rules? Oh no, we would run as many tandem as we wanted. Like, well, I mean, like people, people course. on the, you know, you're you're on the actual main course, but then somebody's on a dirt bike shadowing you on the uh, other course. Oh, uh, so so yeah, it was just meant for drift week when the days we were there because mm-hmm. we rented the track. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, it was on the calendar and it was communicated that this is drift week's time these two days. Um, so it was mostly just drift cars. Now we put some gravel tires on one of the drift cars and we got to go out in the gravel on the rally track a little bit. And that was hilarious. And then also if you like make a mistake and go off track, you end up on the rally track and you just like recover, stay on the gas, (laughs) you're rallying through the gravel and then you pop back on to the tarmac and keep going. (laughs) That sounds pretty cool, man. Hold it, hold it, kicking yeah. up gravel before you get back on there. Uh, so let's talk about the culture, dude. Like the food. Like what are some of the big differences in the culture? Seven weeks, because I, I don't know. I I can't travel for too long before I'm ready to come home, and and I could come home and reload, yeah. and go somewhere else. But I feel like after a week or two, I'm just I just want a Starbucks. I just want to come home and get like a regular burger. What was the food like for you? What are some of the cultural differences, not only in the food, but just period? I know it's kind of a loaded question, so let's start with your favorite. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Um, so the coffee in France is so good that I never even thought about Starbucks. Mm. Um, even the like coffee you make at home, they have these little single-serve pods that'll pop out an espresso, and they're so good. They have the crema on top, you know, the foam. They taste like a proper cappuccino mm. or espresso and they are cheap and easy to make so that right there was resolved they have the best bakeries ever in the whole world and they're called boulangerie and that means french bakery and you Look go at in you with every the, morning with the words yeah some words i remember because that one <laughs> it was so good is magic <laughs> yes you go in i always bought every morning a croissant and a croissant is like 65 cents. Yeah. Whereas a croissant in USA is like a couple bucks. There's 65 cents. I would buy a loaf of bread. So a, a French baguette. Um, 
Were they warm? Like 80 or 90 cents. Yeah, typically it was fresh, mm. warm. And then I would try and buy at least one or maybe two different kind of pastries or um, something sweet. Sometimes they have pan chocolat, which is like a croissant with chocolate inside. Sometimes I would get some sort of fruit or custard dessert or an eclair. Everything was so freaking good, dude. I'm like, every morning, I did not even flinch at spending $10 in the boulangerie. And XL and all the other French guys were like, you are ridiculous. How are you not fat? I'm just wondering that myself. Like, how much weight did you gain or did you sweat it all off in the cars? Yeah. No, I don't don't think I gained any. I don't know. My body's type type is I just, I can't gain weight no matter what I try. Oh, you wait. It'll get you. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It might eventually get me. But um, so far, so good. And yeah, I just every morning I would do that. And then uh, the food is fairly cheap if you know what you're doing. Like I would get some sort of lunch meat and it would typically be like an Italian salami salami or like a sausage or some sort of Italian meat. And then I would get some sort of cheese that I had never tried before. I would try and get like a tapenade, which is, you know, a spread for the bread. And I would get the bread baguette. And I would mm-hmm. just make sandwiches and eat that kind of, kind of thing each day while we were working on the cars and, and wrenching and stuff. And then at night, his wife would cook, XL's wife would cook dinner. And yeah, I, I was very, very, very happy with the food. It was delicious. It was not expensive. Um, do you go out to eat? It is expensive. Like when you go to McDonald's, it's like 12 to 15 bucks for a combo. So if you want to get like a Big Mac combo, it's almost fifteen dollars, um, which is a lot more than USA. I think USA is maybe eight or nine bucks for Dude, a. Dude, it's it's Big getting Mac, up there. Big Mac combo, yeah, but it was still significantly more. Where you just kind of were encouraged to eat at home or get some groceries mm-hmm. and do your thing, and yeah. it was better anyway, of course. Yeah, if you have someone cooking for you, like a host or something, you know why not? Yeah, you know just eat there. Yeah, I'm going to ask you about the sandwich meat and the cheese. Okay. Because it, is it like ours? And I asked this because my wife and I went to Italy, I don't know, almost 10 years ago or 10 years ago. And when we would get a sandwich, it'd be this giant piece of bread, like one slice of cured Italian meat and maybe like one slice of cheese. And I'm holding this thing because I just want like a roast beef. You know how we Americans, we get the big, thick sandwiches. What yeah. was the sandwich meat like there? Well, because I was in control of it, I could make it American style. But yeah, like <laughs> it's it fair. Was, you know, I would just I would just buy like a whole ass thing of lunch meat, you know, a package of it. And I would buy a package of cheese and it would be a different cheese each day. Sometimes goat cheese, sometimes French cheese, sometimes Italian. I would just try something new basically every day. So the meat wasn't overly cured because that's what we were coming across. I'm like every single you one know, of these, all this lunch meat mm-hmm. is like way, it's like hard. I'd eat it with... I need some salami and crackers. I just want to eat a fucking sandwich. They do have that. I think they they like that better. So if you're at a restaurant, they're going to serve you that because it's mm. more fancy. But okay. we like the softer, like fattier cut. I right. Think. And that was what I was able to pick. Like I just picked normal ham or normal, you know, salami. And it was great. It was delicious. I was very, very happy. And you know what's, what else is interesting is like they don't have the same rules for us they don't none of their shit is allowed to have like yellow five or red 40 or whatever those dyes are mm-hmm. so it's much healthier 
non-cancerous and they're not allowed to have like heavy nitrates or preservatives or any of that stuff so everything is fresh um it does go bad in like a couple you know maybe five days to a week but at the same time like just eat it don't waste it just eat it and just get it done like if you buy a loaf of bread eat the loaf of bread before you buy another loaf you know sure beer wine liquor yeah well that stuff never goes bad how is it? You see oh, like Budweiser okay, so, and like the brands that we don't even drink um, here over there. Or you know what's what? so funny is we're on Drift Week and you know, there's all the French guys that are getting booze and, and beers and whatnot. And they offer me a beer and I'm like, yeah, I'll take a beer. And they give me a Budweiser and I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> I, I came all the way across the country to eat, to drink delicious beer. And you send me a Budweiser. Like, all right. And they're like, we thought you'd feel at home. And I'm like, fuck this thing. Give me a good beer. <laughs> You told them, like, look, so guys, funny. no one back home drinks this. Like, there's not a lot well, of people no, who actually like, drink we, Budweiser. We can get this for, like, a dollar, which is, like, 80 cents in euros. You know, like, we don't, I don't, I don't care about those. I want something I can't get. And they understood after, like, the first night. But, yeah, lots of good beers. Um, enjoy it. Good wine. You know, I, I like wine, too. Uh, red wine, especially. And red mm-hmm. wine is fantastic. And... Um, yeah, I mean, look, I was there just as like Excel's guest and everyone was super, super cool. Like the drift community, we don't even speak the same language, but it doesn't matter. They were sure. all there to have a good time. Everyone's bringing out the booze and the snacks and the whatnot. And everyone's like a great friend, no matter what. There was no animosity. There was no clicks. There was no, you know, drama or anything like that i taught them how to shoot dice and gamble which was hilarious because it was a, a language barrier i'm speaking in english and not you know only 10 percent of them understand me and then excel's having to translate and the whole time they're like are you just stealing my money oh <laughs> like, man no we're, we're shooting dice it was hilarious uh, so much fun but um yeah like the community is fantastic and just like in us and basically everywhere I've gone, the drift community, because it is so difficult and so much effort to get to that point, like to have a running car, to have a running truck and or trailer, to have tires, to have fuel, to have time off, to have money to spend and, you know, like a relationship developed or sacrificed in order to take this trip and go on drift week. It is so much effort and focus that everyone on the trip is like, wow. We are the elite 20 that made it. Like, we're amazing. I mean, it's like a, such a bonding experience, and the camaraderie is just 10 out of 10. You know, you just brought up something, and, and watching you on social media, is like I commented when I could, and it looked like you were having a blast, but you just said something that took me back to our conversation a few years ago money to spend. At the time, yeah. you know, your, your operation was, and this is, the case for a lot of people it was so sponsor dependent you know when the sponsors dry up because of the pandemic or whatever it limits a lot of the stuff and you have to sell some of your own memorabilia you pick up more and more gigs is the stuff you're involved in now making you a little less sponsor dependent and that's not to say that you don't obviously want or need sponsors because who wouldn't want or need a sponsor have you been able to recover in a, in a much better place to have a more enjoyable time without sweating every bullet um, you know, it's, it's honestly still just kind of like, uh, 
uh, ebb and flow of sometimes I get lucky or sometimes I have an asset that I sold or, you know, maybe um, I've had a, a good string of luck and my cars haven't been broken for the last whatever, but sure. it's, it's still a hustle. I still have to be very mindful of budget and of course. you know expectations of sponsors and friends and just keep keep that ball going. Um, not easy. And no, it's still a lot of work to be honest. I, I there's a lot of days where I'm just in the shop with or without my buddy Chris and we were wrenching and fixing and massaging all the different broken race cars that are stuffed under that roof. And some are customer cars and some are my cars and some are future cars for sale. And, you know, it's, it's a whole, whole ass process, man, that, um, is never ending, it seems. But I think it's still kind of better than having a real boss and having a, mm-hmm. a typical nine to five. So I'm still sticking it out. No, that sounds good. I was just kind of curious, you know, it's one of those things I was super worried about before. Like, man, this guy's got all this talent. He's got this great personality. You know, I hope he just keeps grinding, grinding. Like you said, you've been doing a long time, so you you understand the ebbs and flows and kind of riding that roller coaster. But it's it's great to watch you having so much fun out there. You know, what's next for Fielding? Like, where what's as far as drifting or driving? And by the way, I did notice the other day. I'm like, wait, this guy's actually racing somebody. He's not drifting. You're actually racing. So you've been doing a lot more road racing as well. Yeah, thanks, man. I've been having fun with it. Um, yeah, that was part of the continental obligation that they want me to go road racing. So I did some WRL racing last year. I raced in three different races. We did Sebring, we did Daytona, and we did Coda, Circuit of the Americas. Sure. That was in an E36 BMW and M3. Super fun, uh, great team. We had a good time. We did well. Um, you know, that, that class is quite broad, and a lot of people and teams spend a lot more money. And so we didn't win anything, but, like, we did great, and everyone ran good times and was solid great camaraderie on the team and i also did some champ car and still have done some champ car just did one about two weeks ago actually um and that's an nc miata and we've actually had a great campaign with that as well we've uh been running the continental extreme contact force which is their 200 treadwear tire and we just you know have a consistent lap time the team is is solid and the car is solid so we've done well to finish the race. And we, honestly, like, because it's a endurance race, you know, it's seven or eight hours racing. So each driver does a two hour stint or as close to that as we can. Sometimes we have to kind of play some strategy with the yellow flags and the purple track cautions and what, whatnot we have to pay attention to. We have to do like calculations. And sometimes, um, like, for example, the last race we were in, I was out for about an hour and a half, and my my stint was about an hour forty five, which is how long the fuel lasts. Then we got a yellow flag. So they told me just come in. I was running good times, and I was consistent. And they told me to come in. We're going to splash fuel, get about um, forty five more minutes out of this stint, and then I'll come in and trade with the next driver. And so I was like, all right, cool, more racing for me. Like, can you guys? put some ice in the cool shirt and they were like, yeah, no problem. And so we, we came into the pits and we added fuel. We put some cool shirt ice in there and rock and roll. And I went out and did another 40 minutes or 50 minutes. So I ended up running two hours and 40 minutes straight. 
And that was gnarly, but uh, we ended up finishing second place overall, which was unbelievable Congrats. because, yeah, thank you. We're, we're in the middle class of racing, whereas there's faster cars with more open modifications with the engine and the aero and whatnot. And, um, yeah, we had a great time and finished second. Didn't have any mistakes on our pit stops. We didn't have any major accidents or any problems mechanically or otherwise. And yeah, it was sick. Fielding at two more questions for you. Would okay. you do Barrett again? Um, yeah, Barrett Jackson was awesome. I, um, was there like kind of in secret? I know that I talked to you about it. Right. Cause you're in the area, but I was working for Toyota and they have a very strict policy where you're not allowed to post online or on social what you're doing. Mm -hmm. But I was actually drifting the brand new Mark V Supra for all the ride alongs with four or five other drivers at the Bear Jackson option, which is so cool. And I can talk about it now because it's already over, but I ended up doing almost 2,000 laps throughout <laughs> the course ask you, of dude, 10 days. Dude, holy shit. It was insane. So our job was to do as many laps as we could while not destroying the tires too much, but still entertaining the crowd and getting people excited to ride along. So we were having a, we had a lap counter, and I was able to do between 120 and 160 laps on a pair of tires, which is unreal. Um, now, granted, we weren't drifting in like, maximum angle or maximum speed short we course too. thrill ride we were sh yeah short course second gear sometimes third if i was feeling spicy <laughs> mm. um and yeah like taking that many people for passenger lapses is, is fun but also exhausting so it's kind of like endurance drifting and we were there for 10 days straight no days off uh it was a grueling event but we got paid well and toyota took care of us and it was a lot of fun. I, I really enjoyed that event, and I would totally do it again. That's awesome. Finally, I ask people this question. Those who listen to this podcast know it's coming. What is people's perception of what's going on with Fielding Shredder, and what is the reality of what's going on with Fielding Shredder? So my perception is you're living the life, you're doing whatever you want, and everything's good, and you know there's not a worry in the world. As an example... So what are some of the perceptions that you think are out there that you get on social media versus the reality of the grind? I probably told you answers right there, yeah. but you know, you can, you can work with it. Yeah. I mean, I've always been a very honest and upfront person with both podcasts, YouTube videos, and just people in, in real life. Um, you know, there's, there's a glamorous side to this lifestyle and there's a very regimented, hardworking, sweaty, miserable side as well. So, um, that's just the nature of the beast. You know, I'm in the shop a lot. I'm working. There's a lot of behind the scenes stuff that I'm doing that sucks and is annoying, like emails and invoices and, you know, follow up and ordering parts and researching things and trying to figure out why my shit doesn't work. And then why, when I fixed it, did it still not work? And, oh, I, I didn't realize that you had to do this. And the typical woes of being a garage mechanic that, it's kind of figuring out as you go. Uh, and that's just how it is. So, you know, there's a lot of things I know very well from experience. I have been doing it a long time, but there's a lot of things that are new and fresh. And I'm learning for the first time and it sucks to learn the hard way. And sometimes that's how it goes. You know, that's 
that's just the reality of it. I don't post that stuff because I don't think it's interesting. And I have been encouraged to like, oh, share your entire life. And people love the highs and lows and people love to see the nitty gritty. But at the same time, I'm like, you know what? In my opinion, social media is for like the fun, the entertaining, the exciting parts of your life. It's not for the mundane or boring or, you know, drawn out parts of your life and so i'm not going to post that because who the hell wants to watch that i don't want to watch that i don't want to relive that like i just got to get the shit done and, and get it over with and then when exciting crescendo to whatever i'm building or doing comes available to film then yeah post that you know i think you do okay An example you blow out the axle you're like okay guys this is what we're working on today we blew out the axle now yeah. we got to get it fixed so at least that's the grounded part because, you know, the perception might be fielding shredders out there with a team of five workhorses while you just sit back and get in the car when it's ready. I wish. Right. I, oh, yeah. I'm sure you do. I have I have friends that they don't wrench on cars, but they race them all day. And so if you ask them a technical question about their car, they're not, they, they don't know shit. No, that's something that um, I think some people respect about me that, you know, I'm involved in every aspect of my car even the stuff that I'm not capable of doing, like tuning, mm-hmm. I still ask questions. I still watch the tuner. My, my good friend Ethan has been tuning my cars forever. And I still try and be educated on the subject. So I at least kind of half ass know what's going on. If something's going wrong, I'm like, oh, I think it might be this. But yeah, I built my car through and through every bit of it. I mean, I didn't paint the car, but I prepped it for paint. And I only didn't paint it because it was cheaper to have someone do it with a professional setup and a less mess too. But yeah, like it, there's no team of five or whatever people. It's just me. If I'm lucky, I can talk a friend or two into coming to help out for the weekend. And uh, recently my buddy Chris has come up to the shop and helped a lot more and we've been able to get some more work done. Man, yeah, it's, it's not a turnkey operation and it's definitely still a lot of blood, sweat, and tears going into it. Anything on the horizon? Any events that people can track? Yeah, so I'm really excited about the Driftweek Europe that we just got back from. So I'm going to go to the next one next year. It's going to be about the same time of year, springtime. And we've got Driftweek 8 coming up. And actually, this is a good opportunity to announce something that's really exciting I've got cooking up. So, you know, Driftweek has been a huge part of my drifting life and career and excitement for the last three years. And if you guys aren't familiar, Drift Week is where we take our race cars, our drift cars, we street drive them on the normal road between racetracks. So we try and go to five to seven different racetracks throughout the course of about 10 days. Mm-hmm. And we get to drift on them and have a great time and then street drive to the next drift track. So you have to be you know, a good driver, you have to fix your car, it has to be a reliable car, but you still want it to be good and capable of drifting on a road course. And for the next one, Drift Week 8, which is coming up in November, I'm actually going to be doing a giveaway. So I haven't announced it yet. You guys are hearing it here first. Here it is. Okay, but, breaking news. I'm going to insert that yeah, sound bite. News. Okay. Yeah. I'm offering a Driftweek experience for Driftweek 8 for one lucky winner. And what we're going to do, I've got a perfectly prepped 350Z. 
It's got suspension. It's got angle. It's got air conditioning. It's got seat and harnesses, a roll cage, everything that you would want on the Drift Week car. And I'm going to include tons of spares with it. Spare wheel, spare jack and tools, spare sensors for the engine, spare alternators, spare, you know, power steering pump, whatever spares you need, spare axles, spare wheel bearings, everything ready to go on like a properly prepped drift week car. And then one lucky winner will win the car. You fly out to me in Austin and I'm going to put you in the driver's seat and you're going to drive with me to the start line of drift week eight. And you get to go on drift week with me drifting throughout each course. I'm going to cover all of your Airbnbs. I'm going to cover a stack of tires for you. You're going to have the most fun ever in a reliable, sorted, prepped drift car. And if you survive, which hopefully you do, and you drive well, at the very end of Drift Week 8, that's your car. You get to drive home in your brand new or slightly used Drift Week 8 350Z, and you win the car. That's awesome. So how do people get involved with that? So I'm going to start a YouTube series where I talk about the car talk about those the sweepstakes and exactly what's going on with it and basically you're gonna enter for a chance on my website fieldingshredder.com i'll have in the sales or the storefront there's going to be a drift week eight uh, giveaway and maybe you're going to buy a sticker or something i don't know but the the difference in my giveaway and most other people's is with mine you know the odds so i'm going to do um 350 tickets and it's going to be 100 bucks a ticket so when you buy the ticket you get entered to win you can buy as many or as few tickets as you want and yeah it's 100 bucks a ticket so you might only buy one or two or a couple of them or a few but you have a much higher odds it's one in 350 chance to win this prize whereas when you do other giveaways where you're every five bucks buys a ticket and you're buying merch and stickers and t-shirts and hoodies and whatnot it could be one in five thousand that you're going to win this thing right sure whereas mine is the odds are exactly one in 350 and one person's going to win that prize and get the car at the end and everything so it should be pretty awesome and i'm really excited to get to announce it and give away this car and have a great time for one lucky winner that sounds like it's going to be a great deal. Fielding, thanks so much for, for making the time. Yeah, for sure. I'm excited. I hope that was as good for you guys as it was for me. Had some audio issue a little bit. I think he was chilling on some AirPods, laying on a sofa or something. But I tried to make it salvageable, and hopefully it wasn't too distracting. I'm an audiophile, so those things, I pick up on them as soon as I'm talking to someone. Ask the question, what are you doing? Where are you sitting right now? Describe your surroundings. So at least he was in a dampened room, but AirPods are, they're just not good to do interviews in. And I blame TV. I blame TV because you look at these interviews and you'll have usually someone famous and they'll have the AirPods in. Or people just don't care because it's all about the content. So then it doesn't have to sound perfect, but as long as the content is good and that's what we try to bring to you guys all the time. And Fielding is always a great conversation. He's always a good, he always has good content. Sounds like he'll be rolling out that contest pretty soon. It's like for $3,600. Is that the math? They say $100 a ticket, $100 a ticket, 
I don't know. For some reason, my head was saying, you're giving someone a car for 3600 Why not just buy all the tickets? If you want a car, if you want a drift car, and you want a drift car and a, and a weekend experience with Fielding Shredder at a drift event, and in the end, you get to take the car home, just fucking buy all the tickets. It's kind of cheating. But if you want to win, what will you do? What are you willing to do to win? You know, AI is all over the place. I edited a friend's podcast. His guest was on, sounded like she was on AirPods. She was in a hollow room. And I ran that filter through. Adobe has, it's called Adobe Podcast. And it's an AI. It's in beta right now. So you can upload the audio. So I uploaded the audio for her. My friend, this is Wes I'm talking about. I always edit his on the side because I edit his like I edit mine. But his guests, I usually don't edit them that deeply because all I care about is making sure Wes sounds good. Unless there's a lot of weird noise in the background that I'm forced to kind of go through and edit his guests line by line. But this thing cleaned it up so well. Guys, check out the Shaping Success with Wes Tankersley podcast with his guest this week. She's a nutritionist, dietitian, and she sounds good. And she sounds good because I uploaded and had her audio fixed in that Adobe Online thing. It's amazing. Blown away. It's going to make people like me who try to edit audio for a side hustle gone. Non-essential. And it made me wonder, all these tools, because AI isn't just, hey, build me this thing or show me what this looks like. There are online contests on taking a basic picture and using AI to fill in the photo. And they look so good. There are creatives that spend hours, days, perfecting an image. And AI can do it in 10 seconds. And if you're the consumer, you don't really care unless you just want to buy that specific artwork. I was having a music conversation when I was at Road America with Colin, not Colin Comer, but the real-time Colin. Because he DJs and he does things. And we're talking about music because I used to play with music. And the DJs, the purists would say, well, you're not any good unless you spin vinyl. And my thought about that was that's a skill. And I have friends that have those skills. I never had those skills. I didn't really invest in the vinyl tables. The te- is it techniques? Technic- I don't remember anymore. But there were the ones to get if you're going to do it. So I did CDs. I went from CDs to MP3s and, and wave. And the thought is, the purists don't like you. The people who are existing in the industry don't like you. But the crowd that's dancing, all they want is good music. The person that's driving, listening to the music, all they want is something that they love hearing. They don't care how you did it. It makes them feel good, makes them feel better. If it's not a complete train wreck between song to song transition, and it gets them on their groove, they don't care how it's done. And I think that's a lot of the customers now And that's what AI is going to do. How many jobs is it going to eliminate? And I want to have that conversation coming up. So if you're listening to this and you want to have that conversation with me, let's do it. I do have a bunch of people that would be willing to probably have that conversation, but I'm giving this offer to you guys right now. I had a friend send me a text message and ask me about, hey, I have an idea for a podcast episode. We need to talk about this, this, and this. But how do you do your podcast? Do you ever do them live? Do you take customer questions? Do you do this? you do that? And my thought is always, obviously, you've never listened to my podcast. And if you have, you've only listened to like one episode. 
Because number one, the subject matter that you want to talk about is not for you guys, my crowd, my audience, the people who are still listening to me right now. That would bore you guys to death because this isn't that type of podcast. It's too car technical. And then the other part, no, this isn't a live radio show. No one calls in in the middle of this podcast. It'd be nice to be to that level, maybe. Anyway, we'll try to make something like that happen. But I'm more willing to take suggestions and feedback from people who actually listen to the podcast or who listen to the podcast and then, even if it's your first or second time, and then decide to get into it. I have another good friend who said, who asked me how the podcast was going. And I was like, yeah, it's going good. And he goes, I'm a bad friend. I should be supporting it more. I only listened to your first two or three episodes and that was it. I'm like, dude, that was three freaking years ago. Those are terrible. You need to listen to the latest episode. So he said, okay, I will. Anyway, I want to thank Right Honda and Right Toyota, fourwheelonline.com, Sell Shop Wireless Services, Patreon Business Supporter, Cuyo Automotive out of Warner Garden, Florida, Pell Construction of Calderon, Michigan, Beak House Small Home Design, Ashbury, Virginia, Traverse City, Michigan, Shipping Success with West Tankersley out of Boise, Idaho. Special thanks to Mark Stolman, Catherine Cox, Eddie Ramos, Richard Graves, Byron Jones, Bo Junk, Alex Gamina, Andrew Bunkley. Can't forget David Garner. I call you David Garner. That's what you go by publicly. You want some show swag, which I never sell any show swag. No one ever orders any show swag. Hardparkingpod.com. Go to the store. Follow me on Instagram at jfinning. Join the Hard Parking Violations Facebook group. Thank you for everybody who has joined the group lately. Go to email the show, heartbreakingpodcast at gmail.com. I can't grow. Like, seriously, I cannot grow without you telling the world how great this show is. So leave me a review. Let's do this. Let's grow this thing together, and I'll talk to you all next week. Shut up! <laughs> now it's stripping time. Ain't nobody got time for that.